Bibles here tonight in Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians in chapter number 3. I do want to say also, um, I really appreciate you being out here tonight. I know uh, with the weather, sometimes it seems like, oh wow, it's dark and it's rainy. I'm just going to stay home. And I uh, really want to commend you on making the effort and energy that you put into being here tonight in the Lord's house. Uh, who knows who you're going to be able to be a blessing to tonight just for your presence of being here, a word you might say to somebody. And so thank you for making a priority of the Lord's house here tonight and uh, for being here. I don't take that lightly. It is a tremendous blessing. And uh, thankful we saw some sister churches in the area had canceled services this afternoon for the rain. And I'm like, yeah, we're probably not going to do that ever. And so uh, I'm glad that you see the need and the effort to be here. It's a tremendous blessing. And for those who weren't able to come for different reasons, watching on the live stream, glad we have that option available as well. It's a blessing. All right, Philippians chapter 3. Let's stand together as we read God's Word here tonight. Philippians chapter number 3 and verse number 17. Now we're finally finishing this chapter, <clears throat> which has taken us a good uh, bit of time. Uh, but there's a lot here to unpack. It's, it's kind of the key chapter uh, of the book, a, a very important chapter. And so we're not going to read the whole thing, but uh, we're going to kind of go along because this is all one thought. So it's kind of like if you're reading a chapter of the book and we've taken like three months to read the chapter just by reading a page a day. Um, it's nice to kind of get a full picture of what the whole thing really is about. So verse number one actually says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, kind of, again, just a key aspect of this whole passage here is we're not called to rejoice in everything else. We're called to rejoice in Him, in Christ. So then he says in verse number 10, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death. That I may know Him. That's our whole theme of the book here. Knowing Jesus and experiencing joy through knowing Him. Okay. So let's pick up our reading here in verse number 17 for our text tonight. He says this, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. Now in parentheses he says this, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now he comes out of the parentheses after he's just said in verse 17, walk as he have us for an ensample, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. We're going to talk tonight here about this. Mark men wisely. Okay, mark men wisely. May God bless you. His word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the scriptures here this evening. <clears throat> I'm not uh, huge into this, but I enjoy it every once in a while. I know there are some in the church who just absolutely love it. Uh, shooting guns. And I know where we're at in Texas, and uh, probably actually even in this service, uh, there's 
probably quite a few guns right here uh, in our service. I've told many people if an intruder comes in to Bible Baptist Church, I'm not afraid of their bullets as much as I am of the crossfire. Amen? Because uh, uh, I tell you what, I understand what part and what neck of the woods that we are in. So I do enjoy uh, shooting guns. I had the opportunity to shoot my first uh, buck last year out on the Bilby's place. If you want to see him, he's hanging up in my office. That's pretty cool. Just a selfish little plug there about how awesome I am. Thank you, Brother Bilby. Uh, but anyways, uh, I did enjoy that. Um, actually, he can tell you how awesome of a shot I am because I missed him the first time and actually hit him. And he should have died, but he didn't because he's stubborn. But God gave me a second chance, and I killed him the second time. So that was a blessing. But I'll tell you that, you know, you get out there, and you're just shaking all over the place. And so that was a fun experience. But I'll tell you this. With the boys, uh, you know, we've had opportunity some to go out and, and teach them, you know, how to shoot a gun and how to handle a, a weapon. And I'll, there's several safety rules about using a firearm, right? Uh, obviously, they are a great tool, but there obviously is danger because you don't point a gun at something unless you want to destroy it. And so there's some safety tips to a gun, but probably the major one is simply that don't ever point a gun at something you don't intend to shoot. Unless you want it to die, unless you want to destroy it, don't point the gun at it. Well, it's not loaded. Don't point it at it, right? And just always treat a gun as if it's loaded. And always understand you don't point it at something if you don't intend to shoot it. Now, interesting thing about guns, <clears throat> wherever you aim it, that's where it shoots, right? I, I, I've never seen somebody take a gun and point it this way and have the bullet go back this way. I mean, now I understand in Looney Tunes... Stuff like that happens, but in the real world, right? The putting the gun this way, the bullet doesn't go that way. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, also, if you're aiming at one thing, it doesn't go off in two different directions, right? Uh, you got a rifle and you're pointing it, and, and where you're aiming is where it is going to go. That's where the target, where you're hoping to hit, it's going to move in that direction. Now, in the Christian life, we are called to take aim at Christ-likeness, right? That, that, is the, that is the goal of what we are, we are shooting for, we are aiming for, that is our ambition, that is what Paul has been talking about in this entire chapter is this, that, that I may know him and the pursuit of Christ and laying aside the old life and what things used to be gained so that he could gain the excellency of Christ. That's the whole emphasis of this. So Paul here towards the end of the chapter simply says this, if that is our aim and we hope to hit the target of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that we cannot claim that direction and yet aim for worldliness. So what he's saying here is simply this, you can't say in a service at Bible Baptist Church, well, I want to be like Jesus and then go home and point your eyes in a direction that is worldliness. Because where you aim is what you're going to hit. Okay. I know it's raining outside. It's so melodious here tonight. But let's catch this, all right? If you're aiming for Christ's likeness, you'll hit it. But the problem is a lot of us are claiming that we are aiming for Christ's likeness and we desire to know Him. And yet our desire is set on worldliness. And so because of that, 
uh, our entertainment choices, our friendships, our associations, they are corrupting good manners, is what the book of Proverbs would say, right? So there are some things that maybe we're setting our affections toward, yet while we are claiming that we're shooting this, guns don't work that way. Where you aim, that's where you'll hit. So if you want to hit this, aim in that direction. So here's what Paul says. Sometimes the, uh, the idea of living like Christ can feel a little ambiguous because we can't actually tangibly see Christ in action. Right? We have the written word, but the living word is not right here beside us. That would be really cool if we were like the disciples and we could simply walk in the footsteps of Jesus quite literally as he was alive. The problem is, is we don't really have that. But I am thankful for this. We do have some men and some ladies at this church who are aiming in the right direction and have set their affection on Christ. And it's not a new thing for them, but they've been doing it consistently for some time in their life. So here's what Paul says. Do like they do. If you can't figure out where you need to aim this thing, just point it in the direction they're pointing, and I'm telling you, it'll help you get where you're wanting to go. Amen. And so that's the whole emphasis of what Paul is going to come to this, because he's been spending the whole chapter talking about knowing Christ, pursuing Christ, apprehending Christ. So now he's going to give some practical application. How do I do that? How do I aim in the right direction? And so he gives us that here. Now, just by way of a quick refresher. Now... I understand some of this stuff, if you've been real faithful, you're like, oh, here we go again. So we're going to do this in like three minutes, all right? But we're going to go through all of chapter number three here and just kind of understand where we've been so we know where Paul is going right here. So in verse number one through three, he talks about this, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because there were joy stealers that were out there. There were people that were saying, you can't just simply rejoice in Christ because you need Jesus and and they wanted to add things to salvation. Now listen, there's a lot of things that want to steal your joy. But one of the things that will steal your joy more than anything else is thinking you've got to follow some set of religious rules and regulations so God will love you. God loves you in spite of who you are. That's why he came and died on the cross for you. So simply do this. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? When you rejoice in the Lord, it enables you to live before the Lord like you ought to. So then he goes on, and of course he mentions there about them being the concision, being dogs. I bring all that up about this group because he nails them again here at the end of the chapter. That whole big parentheses there in verses 18 to 19, that's who he's talking about again. Now he talks about gaining the excellency of Christ in the next big passage. So he simply says, starting in verse number 4, if someone is going to be saved and enjoy the blessings and merit of God based on who they are, it's me. And he lists off eight things about his pedigree of how he was a Jew of the Jew, a Hebrew. He was a, a circumcised on the eighth day. He's of this stock. And man, he has all of it, right? And simply he says this, those things that used to be gain for me, I counted them loss, for the excellency of Christ. So we had the whole sermon, moving our, law, our gain column to our loss column. 
that there's some things that before salvation we thought, man, these are worth a lot. But then we see Jesus for who he is and we realize those are nothing but dung. Paul's words, not mine. Refuse, throw out, waste, nothing valuable there. So he simply says this. Listen, there are some things that are in the uh, gain column right now that need to be moved to the loss column for the excellency of Christ. Because there are some things that are so wonderful about Jesus that nothing in this world could ever compare to them. So Paul then says this, he came after me, he apprehended me when I was in my sin, he sought me out and loved me, Amen. so now I'm going to spend the rest of my life apprehending him. What does that mean? Well, Paul now has pointed his gun in that direction, if you will, his life in the pursuit of Christ-likeness. He said this, that I may know him. What is that intimate knowing of Christ? Well, he wants to be associated with the power of his resurrection. He, we're not going to re-preach it, but the power of his resurrection is simply this. If you want to know how powerful our God is, simply look at the resurrection. You say, well, God could help me. Oh, come on, look at the resurrection. Well, is our God powerful? Look at the resurrection. He says, I want to know that power. He says this, I also want to be associated with the fellowship of his suffering. Why? Because it's in those moments of suffering that God applies so much heat and pressure to our life that we become more like him than at any other point in our life. Yeah. Trials will make you or break you. Amen. And Paul says this, I want some trials in my life so that I can know him more intimately. I want to be made more like him. I want to know him. So that was Paul's heart. That's Paul's desire. So he simply, again, this whole thing, there's some people who want to steal your joy, but understand what they say is of great value is dung. And I've learned in my life that there's some things that were in my gain column that I've moved to my loss column so that I may gain Christ. And now I'm going in hot pursuit of Him because I want to know Him more intimately. Yeah. And so then he goes from that, from a personal testimony, and then he calls out those who are perfect. Not practically, positionally. You understand what I'm saying there? We're not talking about you being perfect that you never do anything wrong. We're talking about you being perfect because you're saved. Amen. You're in Christ. So he says, if you're saved, going from a personal testimony of who Paul was, so now he says, if you're saved, you need to be in that same journey. So Paul drives it home for us. He says, you have not already attained, which means this, continue. And we talked about it last week, which is this, don't stop, don't quit. Someone's going to offend you. Something bad's going to happen. Maybe even in church. Why? Because there's a room full of sinners. Man, you came to church Wednesday night to be encouraged. And the preacher's up here calling you a room full of sinners, right? But here's the thing. We, we do ugly things to one another. And we say things we shouldn't. And we're not always what we ought to be. And listen, you're going to get hurt. It's just inevitable. It happens. Amen. It's part of this life. Something's going to come up medically or something's going to happen uh, uh, between a brother or sister in Christ. Something's going to happen with one of your kids. And the temptation is simply to be this. Well, I'll fooey on this. I'm done with the Christian life. This isn't what it was cut out to be. But Paul simply says this. Don't do that. Don't throw in the towel. Continue. Pursue Christ. Go all in. Double down. Be everything that he wants you to be. Allow those to drive you closer to him, not to pull you further away from him. So now he comes to verse number 17. I said three minutes, I took five. 
Pretty good, though. So here's what's going to happen. Verse 17. He's going to say this. You need to mark some men in your life. Say this, ladies. You need to mark some ladies in your life. So if you're on this journey and you say, listen, I want to know Christ more intimately. I, I, I want to be associated with the, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him. Why? Because verse number one, I want to rejoice in him. I want to know the joy of the Lord, which passes understanding. Mm -hmm. I want to know that. I want to experience that. I've had it before in my life. Well, now, if you're saved... You remember that day you got saved? Amen. Well, that's pretty awesome. Since then, you probably had some days where you've been like, man, this has been, I've been walking with the Lord. Sin hadn't been a problem. This has been great. It's awesome. I'm just fellowshipping with Him. Those are good, aren't they? Now, here's what Paul's saying. You can experience that every day. That, that, that can be like your testimony of life. So here's what he's saying. If that's what you desire, if that's where you're hoping to go, if that's the direction then let us point in that direction. So he says, the way to do that is to mark some people in your life. So in verse number 17, we say it this way, identify and emulate. Identify and emulate. So again, in verse number 17, Paul says this, not in a prideful way, but he says in verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me. Now that might sound like a really prideful thing for Paul to say. I got this thing figured out, so just look at me. I am the perfect example. But Paul wasn't saying that, but Paul understood who he was and who he is. That he had kind of figured out this gain-loss thing, and he had been doing this long enough that he had moved a lot of things from the what used to be gain to the loss, and he experienced more and more of the excellency of Christ. We simply saying this, listen, I've done this for a while and I've experienced it. It's so wonderful. So look at me and follow me. Not in a prideful way, but just a very honest way. So he tells them there, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. The word mark there simply means to identify, to seek out and to take aim after. Again, not to drive the example too much into the, the rut here, but like a rifle, you take those crosshairs, if you will, and aim it at where you want to shoot. I mean, it's just, it's just such a great illustration of this. It's simply saying, if you want to be like that, then aim at that. There's maybe some young men that are here at church to say, I would love to be the type of uh, father that guy is to his children. I, I've seen how he is with his grown children, and they all turned out good. That, that for me, is a big thing. There was a, um, he's actually about to retire up at Heartland for the Jamie Jett. Wonderful man. He was the dean of men when I was there. All three of his grown children are just love the Lord, uh, have been involved in, in ministry and, and some not in ministry, but just love the Lord and just awesome. And for me, I look at it and I'm like, I, I want my grown kids to turn out like his kids did. So those were questions like when I was there, hey, what did you do with your family? Why? Well, here was a guy who had already walked that path. And I'm simply sitting there looking like a guy who doesn't even have kids, not even married yet, just a student at Heartland. And I'm asking this question. If I want my parenting to look like that guy, 
then I want to aim in that direction. Now listen, you can aspire to that, and I could look at Jamie Jett and I could say, man, I'll, I want to have a family like that guy had. That's really awesome. That's wonderful. And they do everything the exact opposite of how he ever did it. But here's the problem with that. I can't expect the same result. Because just because I admire it doesn't mean I will achieve it. You've got to walk that path. You've got to talk the talk. You've got to walk the walk. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying simply this. If you want it, aim at it. So maybe you're here tonight, man, and you see another man in the church. You say, listen, I want to be the type of husband that guy is. And he's been married for 60 years. They've been married for 50 years. And they still love each other. That, that's a big deal, because I know some people have been married 50 years, and they, they tolerate each other. But I love getting around couples that have been married for like 40, 50, 60 years, and they're just like, almost like high school, like sweet on each other, and it's kind of gross being honest but I also look at it and I'm like I want that come on if I'm honest with myself I say this listen uh, I've been married you know for 13 years now I look at that and I go I still got a long way to go don't take that the wrong way I say this it's still many years ahead listen I want to get to that point in my marriage and say wow it's been sweet the whole way and we actually still not only love each other we still like each other how do you do that? Well, there's some great examples that are setting before us who have walked a path. I remember when I was um, at my dad's church, I was teaching a young couples class. We had started it the last year we were there and started with just um, one young couple. And by the time we left, we had moved classes twice because we were up to like 30 young couples that were coming. It was awesome. The Lord just really blessed the class. It was doing really well. Well, one of the lessons that we did, we were doing a uh, marriage class about marriage, which I was just a scholar at the point. I'd been married a whole, like, three years. And so we're going through a book. And do it. Well, one of the things we did was I decided we were going to do a class where we had three couples come in that had been married. I believe one was 40, one was 45, one was 50. Wow. And they came in, and they were ones that were, like, holding hands and all sweet on each other. I'll tell you what, that class, it was awesome. Someone's in there and they're just like asking questions and there's this panel discussion where they're just getting some advice. You say, it was awesome for the young couples to look at that and say, I want my marriage to be like that, so what did you do to make it work? Now, listen, we could go down the list here of a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe you're a lady here and you say, man, I would love to have a prayer life like that lady does. Man, that, that lady knows how to get a hold to God. Now, listen... We're not trying to say this in a prideful way or an arrogant way or something, but there are just some folks who have aimed at the Lord long enough and have had a passion for the Lord. And maybe you say this, I, I, I need some help because I want to end up there. And right now I'm over here. And so I want to aim in the right way. And sometimes that seems so far off, but this is a little closer that there's this individual in our church or in our community or somebody that I know that I can look at and say, can you help me? grow in Christ. And so Paul is simply saying this, listen, there's some people you need to mark them because God gave them to you as an example. Common vernacular, an example. Yep. Somebody that you can see and you can say, oh, that's how you do that. Examples are wonderful. And so I'm thankful God has given them to us. And that's exactly what Paul says to do here. Identify those who are moving in the right direction. Now, 
in identifying, he also talks about there's not only those you need to identify and emulate, but there's also those you need to identify and avoid. So he kind of puts this parenthesis in there in verses 18 and 19, and he simply says this, there's some deadbeats, and don't do what the deadbeats do. Okay, that's a good phrase to take home with you. Don't do what the deadbeats do, right? So he says here, listen, uh, there's some individuals, and he calls them this. It's very strong language, and again, Paul uses it, so we're going to use it. He calls them this, enemies of Christ. That's some strong language, meaning this, that there are those, if this is Christ's likeness, they're the exact opposite of that. I mean, they're, they're a 180, which means if this is the direction of moving towards Christ, they're wanting to move you the exact opposite direction. They are the enemies of the Lord. He talks about their walk, their lifestyle, their way of living. They are warned of by Paul over and over and over again in this chapter. And here he says it this way. He is so concerned for these Philippians mm, that they would fall prey to these enemies of Christ that here in this chapter he says this, that he is so concerned that he's even weeping about it. Now, again, you can take this how you want to with this weeping aspect here. Uh, kind of a, a two-fold of it. Paul might be crying for those who have a low view of Christ and a high view of their works, and they've rejected Christ, and he is weeping that they've rejected him. But I think more to the context of this passage, Paul is weeping not for the enemies of Christ, but weeping for those little sheep who are new believers who would fall prey to the evil message of the enemies of Christ. And he's weeping, concerned that they're going to fall for it. So who are these enemies? Well, they could be Judaizers. I think that fits right in with the chapter here. Remember, he called them dogs, evil workers, concision in verse 2. These are those who said, yeah, what God said is great, but you need to add and add and add, which is simply this. God won't take you like you are. You got to clean up some stuff first. Dangerous message. Super dangerous message. I'm thankful for a God that takes us right where we're at and by his grace and mercy takes us to a place we can never get to on our own. And so what they're saying, though, is, well, you got to clean up your act first. And you got to do Jesus and works, Jesus and money, Jesus and baptism, Jesus and church attendance, Jesus and good works, Jesus and, 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 and. Where does it ever end? And so he's simply saying here that these joy snatchers and joy stealers, he calls them out, I believe, right here again. They could fit right in this context of this passage of Scripture here. And he calls them this. They are enemies of Christ. Enemies of him. What about this? The antinomalists. Now, he doesn't deal with them in this book. James deals with that in this book. Some of you might be like, a what, a what? An antinomalist, we would call them today easy believism. Somebody who uh, simply comes up like this. You don't understand anything about what I'm talking about, but you want to go to heaven when you die, right? Okay, great. Here. You're saved. Praise the Lord. See how many times I can hit my head on the head during the sermon. We'll say this, praise the Lord, you're saved, right? But that's not how salvation works. I mean, salvation is simple in the sense that it simply takes a sinner turning in faith to Christ and believing in him by faith. I mean, that's it. That's a simple act of belief is what saves us. But unfortunately, there's those who have, uh, I believed, condemned many a soul to hell 
by a false gospel that comes along and says, one, two, three, repeat after me. And you, they have no idea what they're doing. And then they put their faith in a prayer and not in a person. Yeah. And so that, that could be an idea here, because just as those who want to add works to Jesus, there's those who want to take Jesus out of the equation altogether. And so he says, those are enemies of the cross of Christ as well. Now, again, I don't know for sure if he has one group in mind or another. Maybe it is that it's religious people that he has in mind here also. That those who want to add and add and add and heap on things instead of the relationship with Christ. Now, again, I don't know exactly what it is. But more than it being a specific group, Paul identifies them not by their name, but by their actions. So uh, we'll just do this really quick here. He mentions this. Their end is destruction, which simply means this. They are unsaved. They're either putting their faith in their works or in something else or whatever the case might be, but their end is destruction. Secondly, he says this. The, their God is their belly. What does that mean? Some of y'all like, if I were that way, I'd have a big God, right? <laughs> no. Their God is their belly. It simply means this. They're selfish. Their God is their belly means this. They want, and if they want, they go get it. They desire, so they, they go to have it. And so he says here that that is a fleshy desire. And so obviously their drive is not Christ-likeness. It's fleshly desires. Their God is their belly. Third thing he says is this. They glory in their shame. So <clears throat> what, this is probably the keyest way to be able to identify this. If you want to mark somebody to follow, it's somebody who's got this gain-to-loss column thing figured out. Right? So what he's saying here is this. He says they're, they're, they glory in their shame, which is this. They've got this backwards. So where Paul took things that he thought were once gain, like his self-righteousness and his good works and his deeds and, and who he was... He had taken those and moved them to the lost column so that he might gain the excellency of Christ. These people have it the exact backwards. There's some things that they should be pursuing of Christ's likeness that they move to the lost column and they move like their self-righteousness and their prowess to the gain column. And so he says they boast in that. They, they're prideful in their shame. So he says that's a, a key indicator of one of these enemies of the cross. And then this fourth and final thing, he says this, they mind earthly things. Again, this is probably a major, major thing here. Where they're aiming is not Christ, it's worldliness. Their appetite is not more Jesus. Their appetite is more world, more flesh, more me. Okay, so he identifies that there. So here's what he says, don't follow them. If, if you identify that they're, they're the wrong thing to aim at, don't follow them. Good manner, or excuse me, bad company corrupt good manners. Don't hang out with the wrong people. So verse 20 through 21, he says this, Our aim, our motivation, our direction, our apprehension, that which we're pursuing, should be heavenly things. It should be Jesus Christ. Why? Because verse 21 one day, we will be in His presence. We will understand fully everything there is to know about Christ and be known completely of Him. The half has not been told. 
mm, things are going to be awesome when we get to glory. And so he says there in verse number 21, he is going to change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. He's simply saying this, I'm in pursuit of Christ and one day God's going to put that on hyperdrive and it's going to be whoop, and you're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Well, the exodus of this earth means the entrance into Christ's presence. And so he's saying, listen, because that is the end destination, aim for it now. So that's, that's kind of the summary of it. So let me give you a couple of application points and we'll be done. Make a choice to apprehend Christ. Aim right. Maybe it is here tonight, you, you recognize this. You desire this, but you're aiming here. You want to be like Christ, but you're aiming at worldliness. Correct that aim. Second thing might be this. He says here that you ought to mark some individuals who are doing it the right way. Why? Because it's good to have a human, earthy example of the right way to be. So, choose individuals who are aiming in the right direction and allow them to influence you. Larry Brown once said it this way, You are now or you soon shall be who your friends are. Who you rub elbows with and who you hang with and, and who you associate with, you either are now or you're moving in the direction of being like them. So here's the thing. Get around people that have this kind of pursuit on their mind, not that kind of pursuit. Some of y'all maybe have some friends, some acquaintances, some people that you're allowing to influence your life right now, that their main pursuit has nothing to do with Jesus. Can I implore you, reconsider that friendship. Now listen, I'm not telling you you need to ditch them, dump them, and block all their calls. But you understand there's a huge difference between an acquaintance and a good friendship. And I think there's some people that maybe you're allowing into your life as a deep, abiding friendship that probably isn't moving you in the right direction. Let me implore you here this evening, reconsider that. Allow for that close, tight-knit inner circle of your life to be some of the people that are sitting right here in this room. Some people that on a rainy Wednesday night decided that it was important to hear God's word declared and to be around God's people. Some people that have as their pursuit Christ-likeness, just like you are desiring in your life right now. Maybe it is also, as Paul identified, there are some religious people. He talks here about possibly the Judaizers or the Antonomalists, the easy believism or the legalist, right? He says, listen, they could be enemies of the cross. And I would say this, there are some religious personalities that are around today, yeah. religious personalities <laughs> that are very popular, that are writing books and have TV shows and radio talk shows, that I'll say this, be careful what you open yourself up to. Yes. Because just because they name the name of Christ doesn't mean Christ is theirs, right? That, he, that they belong to Him. Because there's a lot of people out there that are uh, pleasing their own belly off of God's people. And if you just do a, uh, not even a deep dive, just a surface level dive, you would start to see some of these identifying markers in their very lifestyle. And you'd start to identify there's some smiling people down in Houston, Joel Osteen and some others. Again, uh, go, be careful naming names because you go down the gamut and you'll get in trouble. But I'll say this, not everything that you read in their books 
and watch on their shows are going to be pushing you towards Christ. So just be mindful that there's even some Christian influencers that are out there that you need to be careful who you open yourself up to. So simply do this. Mark wisely. Aim. When you got it, move in that direction. If that's what you desire, you can't desire that name over here and expect that result. It doesn't work that way. You can be skinny all you want, but unless you aim right, you're never going to lose the weight. You can want a desire to be like Jesus all you want, but unless you aim right, you'll never move in that right direction. It takes aiming right and aiming right and aiming right. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here tonight.